going to look at Hebrews 4. I'll uh, pretty much do tonight what I did last few times I was with you on Tuesday night. I'm sorry, with Hebrews 3. Um, I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we're going to move through the whole chapter and wherever we get by 8 o'clock is where we will end. So Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, so much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of the, all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we were unable, or excuse me, that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for our time tonight together in your word. Uh, we just pray, Father, that as we continue to look through uh, the book of Hebrews, Lord, we just ask, Father, for your, for your guidance, Lord, that you would give me clarity of mind and thought and words uh, as I uh, try to teach all through the entire chapter, Father. I just pray that the hearers would hear clearly, Father, as uh, we even heard here that uh, the Israelites heard, but they just did not obey. And it's because of their unbelief that they did not enter the rest, Lord. So may we examine ourselves well, and may we adhere to your word, uh, Father, as you uh, desire, as you have promised, as you have made available, rest in Christ. And so, Lord, uh, bless us by your word tonight. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I started off uh, Hebrews chapter 3 in the Thursday morning group uh, by showing how uh, uh, Moses was a type of Christ and talking a little bit about typology. And I actually have a uh, paper that are about six pages long is taken from A.W. Pink in his book called Gleanings in Genesis, and he lists some similarities between Moses and Christ. And uh, when he finishes, there's 75 that he found or that he references. Um, the only thing that I'll say about that is um, you have to be careful uh, because when you think about end-time prophecies and you think about eschatology and you think about the people on television, uh, I don't like eschatology that takes the newspaper and listens to the news and then tries to take everything they hear and put it to the Bible because everything that you hear uh, is not necessarily in any specific place in the Bible. Uh, so same thing with typology. 
Uh, we don't want to go back to the Old Testament and just try to find all kinds of types and consider everything a type of Christ and, and try to use the Bible uh, allegorically that way. We don't, we don't want to do that. Um, some of them, uh, I didn't study them in depth, uh, some of them that uh, Mr. Pink came up with, um, I, I found it a little bit hard, or maybe not hard, but may have stretched it a little bit. Um, but you can, if you want to look at them, I can print you out the list and you can uh, look through them yourself. So we're not going to start there tonight. Uh, where we're going to start is in, um, in the first verse there at the beginning. And uh, if you remember when I taught last time, we talked about Jesus being greater, in the, greater than angels in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, 1 and 2. And uh, when we talked about that, I asked you to think about how important angels were in the Hebrew mind. Uh, you, you, you saw angels at the Garden of Eden. The angels blocked the entrance to the gate to get back in the Garden of Eden because they didn't want them to go back in and eat from the Tree of Life. Uh, you see uh, the angels coming to Abram and Sarah, telling them that they're pregnant. We saw uh, angels at uh, Mount Sinai in the deliverance of the Ten Commandments. Uh, when you get to the Old Testament, you see the angel coming to Mary and Joseph and... and uh, um, presenting themselves there, uh, there was 400 years of silence uh, in between the Old Testament and New Testament. They were anticipating the Messiah. Um, Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies as the high priest, and a angel meets him there and tells him that he's about to bear a son, and he, he would be his name would be John, meaning John the John the Baptist. So they played a very significant role. So as we go into Moses being greater than he, greater than Jesus. Then also think about the the mindset of the Jew uh, when it comes when it comes to Moses. Um, Moses was surrounded by a multitude of miracles all of his life. Uh, he was spared as a child, if you remember. Uh, they were killing all the the midwives were trying to kill all the first the, well all the babies that were being born at, during that time uh, because they said that uh, there was a, uh, that Moses was going to be born and so they were trying to kill them all and they floated them down the river and of course Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter uh, found them and, and ended up raising them and Moses grew to be second in command there in Egypt. Um, the Jews were delivered out of Egypt with uh, personal miracles um, Moses was the one that went up on the mountain and brought down the Ten Commandments. Uh, he spoke with God face to face. Uh, when when uh, Moses came down, the glory of God showed upon his face. They knew that he had been in the presence of God. Um, Moses was the one that stood on the side of the Red Sea and raised his right hand. And when he raised his right hand, the, the water parted. Now, I don't know if you, if you didn't believe in God... Uh, and you saw that happen, uh, you, would, you would think he was some kind of a miracle worker because as soon as his hand went up, the sea parted, and all the Israelites were watching, and then they all went through on dry land, and we got to the other side, he turned back around and put his hand up again, and it drowned the whole Egyptian, uh, Egyptian army. Uh, Moses delivered the Jews out of Egypt uh, by foretelling the ten plagues. If you don't listen and set us free, this is what's going to happen tonight and tomorrow morning. And guess what happened when you woke up the next day? It happened. Um, he laid down his stick and turned into a snake, and he bent over and picked it back up, and it turned back into his, uh, into his stick. Uh, so they were, they were witnesses, and they saw um, things, like, things happening uh, surrounding Moses. Uh, and so you would start to think that he's a pretty important person uh, because God was showing him favor. Uh, not only that, but Moses wrote through the uh, guidance of God's spirit, I would say wrote or compiled, uh, the uh, first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Uh, Moses recorded the law, uh, just, not, just not the Ten Commandments, uh, but also the book of Leviticus. If you read through it or Deuteronomy, you read through it. Uh, you'll see all the laws for governing life and uh, governing cleanliness. 
what is clean and what is unclean, and how do you stay clean, and how do you become clean after you've become after you've been unclean? Uh, so, so if you think about um, Moses and how important he was to the Jewish life, then you can begin to understand why um, why the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, felt like it was very important to tell these Jews that you don't, go, you don't have to go back to the Old Testament and Moses' teaching. You now have Jesus and you have his teaching. You have the, the, uh, the new covenant. Also understand that the writer of Hebrews knew how important Moses was in the mind of the Jew so he doesn't start by telling the Jews, the Hebrews, the differences between Jesus. He, he began by telling the similarities between Jesus and Moses. Uh, because if he, they jumped right in there and started bashing Moses and saying that Jesus is so much greater, they might have been offended pretty quickly and they might, have, might not have had ears to hear as well if they went in with a little bit of humility, uh, a little bit less weight, and, and telling them uh, the similarities between Jesus and, and Moses. But if you think about prominent, the prominence of Moses in the Old Testament, I mean, just thinking about America, uh, think about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and those who signed, and uh, we esteem our founding fathers, especially as conservatives, uh, because, because they have given us a way of life. And they play, they play a very significant role. So use that in understanding uh, what, what, what do we, how do we respond uh, when somebody wants to come in and change our way of life. Right? When, the, when, our, when our politics and our politicians uh, say that they're going to change our way of living. We don't like it and we rebel against it and we want to go back to the way it was. Well... This is what the uh, Jews, that's what the Hebrews uh, were, uh, were, were doing and thinking. And uh, Jesus had, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews had to come in and say, look, Jesus is the much better way. And, uh, and he began to show the comparison before he got to the contrast. Jesus and Moses were set apart and appointed by God. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> Jesus, it says, uh, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Okay, so he starts by saying, Jesus and Moses were both appointed by God, and both of them were faithful in their calling. Right, and I'll get to it in a minute. We know that Moses wasn't faithful the whole time, but he was faithful to the calling, right? He, he got him out of Egypt, he took him to Mount Sinai, and he got him to the edge of the promised land. That was his calling, that was his purpose, that's what he did. Now he hit the rock and did some other things that God told him not to do on the way, but he fulfilled his calling. Well, Jesus not only fulfilled his calling, but he also did it without being disobedient at all. So that's a contrast between Moses in Jesus. But the similarity is, is they both fulfilled their calling that God set them apart uh, to accomplish. Okay, God's purpose, um, Jesus is an apostle and high priest, that's the difference. Uh, Moses was the apostle, uh, he was the set apart one for God's purpose, but he wasn't a priest. Aaron was the priest, right? Jesus was Apostle and priest, right? He is the only one that is both apostle and priest. Uh, in the Old Testament, they're, they're, they're separate. Uh, Moses was an apostle. Aaron was the high priest. Um, it says that Jesus, was, Jesus and Moses were both faithful to God uh, who appointed them. Jesus' uh, faithfulness to God is, uh, you can look at uh, John 6, 38 and John 7, 18. And uh, really the, a lot in the book of John. Uh, Moses is faithful to God. Let's turn, uh, let's turn to Numbers 12. <clears throat> now 
Numbers 12 and verse 7, it says, Not so with my servant Moses, he was faithful in all of my house. Okay, and then if you went over to John's gospel and read the ones I said, it would just say that Jesus was faithful uh, to God. He, he only did what he saw his father doing. He, uh, he came for the purpose of fill, fulfilling the father's will, and he did. Uh, all right, the, uh, Jesus was faithful as the builder of God's house. Moses was faithful in God's house, and that's very important. Uh, we're going we're to spend some time. We're going to spend some time here, but Jesus was faithful as the builder of God's house. Moses was faithful in all of God's house. All right, let's jump back to Ephesians. We'll start in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and starting in verse 20. Let me go back to 19 because I like complete sentences. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And that's a very important verse uh, with what I'm getting ready to talk about. It pretty much says everything that I'm going to say. Um, but if we go over to Matthew chapter 16 and you read verses 13 through 20, uh, I won't go there because I'm going to tell you what it says. Uh, Jesus goes to his apostles and he says, who do they say that I am? Talking about all the people in town. He said, well, some saying that you're uh, uh, Elijah, some saying that you're uh, Moses, some saying that you're Jeremiah, and some of the other prophets. And then they say, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, uh, had been speaking, speaks up again and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, you are correct, uh, and upon you I'm going to build my house. Catholics take that to mean that that is the first pope, and uh, and all of the popes in succession, uh, God is building the church upon. Protestants came along and said, no, that's not it. Uh, it's the profession of faith that he said, that he is the son of the living God. And it's upon the profession of faith that, uh, that, he is, uh, that, that he's building the church on. Um, I think that both of them are true, not Catholicism and the popes, they're not what God is building on, but they were building on Peter and the apostles. <clears throat> when we look at the verse that we just read in Ephesians, Ephesians talking about uh, the disciples being the foundation and Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So if you go into a, if you go into a piece of property, uh, you want to figure out where your house is going to be built. You go in and you clear the land. All right, then you have to figure out which direction you want the house to face and is it going to be along the road is it going to be along the river uh, is it going to be catty cornered so you can see over the field maybe or something but you got to figure out which direction you want the house in when you do figure it out you're going to go and you're going to pick where one corner is going to sit when you pick that one corner everything else in all of your building is going to be measured from that particular corner everything is going to be squared plumb and leveled to that particular corner. That's the chief cornerstone. That's the one that's gonna, gonna keep everything else in line, all right? So you have the chief cornerstone, and then you have all the cinder blocks on the, uh, on the foundation. And so if we look at the cinder blocks over here, this right here is the first century. This is the second century, third century, fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way up to 2022. Okay, so he says that the church is built on the foundation of the disciples, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, right? So Jesus being this corner, and then every single disciple uh, was, was plumb level and square to that chief cornerstone. Then you have the first century, second century, third century, and every one of them were plumbed, leveled, and squared all the way up. Now, if you, if you don't keep it plumb, level, and square, what's going to happen? It's going to start going like this. And then it's going to get so much weight on it that it's just going to go. All right? 
And so everything has to be plumb level and square. So, in my opinion, not popes, in my opinion, God is building his church on people. He's building his church on Christians. And he's building it on the proclamation. Both of those have to be true, on people and the, and the proclamation. That is being plumb level. We, as the stone, are being plumb leveled and squared to the apostles and their teaching. Okay, you understand that? So, it says, um, that was the Peter's confession. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians. I'll read a couple more to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. We'll read 9 and 11. 9 through 11, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right? So he says that he laid the foundation, and now we're building upon that foundation, and we have to be very clear, very careful how we build. Right? And we're not laying a new foundation. We're building on the current one, and we have to be very careful how we build because it all has to be plumb, leveled, and squared to the apostles' teaching and the chief cornerstone. Go over to verse 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Right? You are that temple. Uh, you can go to Acts chapter 2 and Psalm 118. It talks about the, the uh, stone that the builders rejected. Um, and the, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. No, 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8. Starting verse 8, it says, excuse me, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in scriptures. Behold, I am laying uh, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. All right, notice uh, back in verse 4, in verse 5, uh, it says, you yourselves are like living stones, right? Now, we're not, we're not dead stones. We're not just a cinder black. God doesn't just put us there, right? So when we go back to Hebrews, and, uh, and we see that it says that uh, Jesus is the builder of the house. He was faithful as the builder of God, and Moses was faithful in all of the house of God. Uh, what we need to see is that, that Moses is both <clears throat> the stone that is being built and he is also building both. Living stone, right? We are, we're also building. Uh, we're holding the, the stone next to us accountable. Uh, we're making sure that we're on the bottom stone. And we're making sure that the next one, the next generation on top of us, is also building correctly. And the next uh, generation on top of us is also building correctly. Right? The, account, the, the accountability and the uh, teaching ministry that we have is for that person. We have to be very careful how we build so that we're making sure that we're building on top of the uh, apostles' teaching. Because if we don't, we begin to drift. Right? So Jesus, or Paul said... If, any, if anyone else, even an angel, come to you and, and, and teaches another gospel, let him be anathema. Why, why does he need to be anathema? 
Because the building's going to fall over if we allow them to keep going because we're going to start building this way and then it's going to, it's going to topple over and we have to make sure that we're building straight up on the... Uh... <clears throat> so Jesus is the better one. Jesus is the better, faithful builder of God's house. Moses was the faithful one in God's house. Jesus was working into Moses what he needed to do to be plumb square with the apostles' teaching, and Moses was also working it out as God was working it, working it in. So I just want you to see that uh, living stone mentality, that we're not dead stones, dead bricks, but we're live, living, and active. Um, Jesus was God speaking, and Moses was the prophet of God. So that's the difference. Uh, notice that came later. That wasn't the first thing that I started out with, right? We don't want to come in with somebody who thinks that Moses is such a, a great prophet of the Old Testament, Testament, a great prophet of the Jews, and uh, just begin bashing him right away and, uh, and telling them that, no, Moses is God. Uh, excuse me, Jesus is God, and Moses was spe just speaking for God, right? He waited for a while and uh, told all the, a lot of the similarities before he got into the... Uh, the contrast. Jesus was faithful as God's son. Moses was faithful as God's servant. Another difference. Jesus was the one spoken of by Moses. So Jesus was the one spoken of. Moses spoke and testified of the things later to come or later to be spoken. Jesus was faithful over the house of God. Moses was faithful in all of the house of Israel. Jesus was faithful over the heavenly kingdom. Moses was faithful over the earthly kingdom, which is another very significant thing to remember, is that the Old Testament is, is covenants and promises of an earthly kingdom uh, that is a type of a heavenly kingdom that was, that was to come. It was the, kind of the forerunner uh, to, uh, to the kingdom that was, was to come. I don't want to separate that too much but just know that a lot of the promises in the old testament was for the earthly kingdom and jesus the promises that jesus secured and the and the promises that he fulfilled in the old testament was for the coming of the uh, heavenly kingdom So Moses was God's house, and we are God's house, and we must hold fast to the end. All right, um, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Uh, we learn that Jesus is greater than Moses. We learn that we are the, uh, God's house. Uh, we learn that our response, uh, our response to the author's warning. The proof that we are God's house, verse 6 it says, but Christ is faithful over the house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast with confidence our boasting and our hope. All right? How do, how do we examine ourselves? We just had this teaching. Whoever the writer of Hebrews was was a good pastor because he'd, he'd preach a truth and then he would apply it. He'd give application. Uh, he, would, he would charge them. To, to respond to what they've, uh, what they've heard. Okay, so he's talking about being the house, and he says, how do we know that we're in this house? Well, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting uh, in, our, in our hope. So how do we know we're of the house of God? We have to be built on the apostles' teaching, right? What does, what, how does this house, how does this building stand for a long time where all of these cinder blocks are holding fast with the cement that's in between them so that it can stay there for as long as the building stands, right? And so same thing with us. How do we know that we're in the household of God? It's because we are held fast with confidence and assurance that, that, uh, that we are uh, gods and that we're standing on uh, standing on his, his word and standing on the apostles' teaching. So those in the household of God, they hold fast. They persevere to the end. Uh, again, one important uh, thing to remember when you're doing a Bible study, 
uh, or you're trying to interpret scriptures, is anytime you have doubt, allow scripture to interpret scriptures. All right, so when you think of holding fast, persevering to the end, you think of verses like, if God began a good work in you, he's going to carry it through to completion. Uh, if God foreknew you, he called you. If he calls you, he will justify you. If he justify you, he will glorify you. So he saved you for the end result. So God is holding you, and you are holding on. You're, you're, you're standing firm uh, to, the, uh, to the end. Uh, you can rest assured that God is holding you if you are holding uh, on, on to him. And so we need to examine ourselves as the, as the household of God. Uh, so it says today, which means today, current, right now, there isn't a guaranteed another chance. Uh, there's no guarantee of tomorrow. And, and so today is the day, is the time, is the moment uh, to make the decision because no other time is, is guaranteed or, or available. There is the possibility that you, that you could miss out on God's mercy today. The Bible says that mercy is new every morning. Uh, but if you don't stop today to take advantage of the mercy that God has given you, you'll miss out on today's mercy. That's the point. Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 2, it says that you have not because you ask not. If God had intended for you to have something today and he was waiting for you to just ask for it and you don't take the time to ask for it, then whatever you could have gotten today and what you should have gotten today, you've already missed. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34 let me go back there real quick. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Okay, so um, don't add to your ang don't add to your agony today by worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, and so today humble yourself before the Lord because you will miss out on what God wanted to do, but He's resisting you because of the hardness of your heart or your, re your resistance. Um, there, is a, uh, there is a final day for God's grace. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 15 through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, through, though he sought it with tears. Okay, basically what uh, I'm, I'm doing here is camping out on that word today and how, how important it is to consider the moment that you're in, uh, consider the importance of the moment, uh, because there is a day coming or there's a, there's a, a sin that leads to death, uh, there is a rebellion that leads to not being able to receive repentance, as, as Esau uh, was, though he cried out with tears, uh, it says. And so today, if you're under conviction, today, if you're 
being convicted by the Spirit, then respond to Him now. Uh, John chapter, or 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says there is a sin that leads to death. Um, you, could, you could dishonor God so much that God figures it is better to bring you to heaven than it is to leave you there and to continue to, uh, to sin. And so consider, consider today, consider God's word. That was 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Ecclesiastes 9, 12 says, Don't be caught in evil unbelief, which is the whole, the whole focus of this particular passage, uh, was there in verse 19 of chapter 3. It says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Ecclesiastes says, Don't be caught in evil unbelief. And then there is a final day on earth. There's a final day on earth. On that day, meaning today, that particular day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus says, I knew you not. So there is this, there is this day when, when, when um, salvation will not be sought, will not be found. First uh, Thessalonians chapter five and verse that, verse three is the day with no escape. Luke chapter twenty one thirty four tells us to be watchful today. Be watchful. Keep your eyes open. And then Revelations eighteen seven uh, uh, don't glory in your unbelief. Not only is it not only are we to hold fast, and I like this part. But uh, the purpose of being God's house is that we hold fast together or we hold fast uh, with, uh, with one another. Uh, let's look at, verses tw- look at verse 12. In verse 12 it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Okay, we are to take care, brothers, we are to take care of, uh, of one another. Uh, it's just as important uh, that we examine ourselves to see if we have drifted away, but it's also just important to look around us to see if any of our brothers and sisters are, are drifting away. That rock has just as much responsibility with that rock sitting beside it and that rock on that side of it as with the rock that's above them uh, to make sure that they are secure and that they're not drifting and they're not falling away and that they remain attached. That's part of our responsibility. Remember, we're not just stones sitting there was cemented together were living stones attached to the last generation attached to the first generation attached to each other attached all the way back to the apostles teaching and so the church is is a community of believers coming together to make sure that we're all holding fast and that we're all staying together and we're not drifting Um, our our membership says that the keys to the kingdom is given to the church and it's our responsibility to hold each other and the pastors and elders responsible to make sure that we are teaching the, the apostles' uh, word, uh, teaching the word of God and being faithful to it. And, uh, and so it's a community, community effort. All right, then we come to verse 7. Well, 7 through 11. In verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, okay, now notice that he's saying, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes from the Old Testament. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the author of Hebrews believes that the Holy Spirit spoke the Old Testament. That it is an inspired word of God, that it is God-breathed just as Timothy said. So the Holy Spirit spoke the words of the Old Testament. Um, Thinking about Israel's unbelief, it says beware of their unbelief. If you think about uh, what did the the Hebrews see? What were they eyewitnesses to? Um, I like to think, and I'm sure you all like to think, that if you were an Israelite and you saw all the things that they saw, 
that you would be faithful and you would believe God. I mean, I already talked about the plagues. I mean, can you imagine having me stand up here and say, tomorrow morning there's going to be frogs all in your house and all over your road and all over your lawn and all in your car and all over the place. And tomorrow morning you got up and there were frogs everywhere. Now, it might not, it might not be that great if I said tomorrow there's going to be gnats everywhere, but, but frogs, or if I said... Tomorrow, you're going to look out over Savannah and the whole river, all the Skidaway River, um, what are the other rivers? Bull Rivers, rivers, Vernonburg River, all the rivers turned to blood. You got up tomorrow morning, they were all thick, yucky, red, bloody looking, nasty and nasty. What would you, what would you do if I said, uh, if the Vernon Vernon, uh, uh, Bridge fell over? And I said, come on, follow me. I'll get us across. And I went over and held my hand up. The Vernon River separated. And we walked her through on dry ground and got to the other side. And I raised my hand and it went all back together. I mean, what if you saw that? I mean, would you not? I mean, <clears throat> manna fell from the sky. They could go out and gather it up every single day. They got upset and they complained. And, uh, <clears throat> and, they, and God sent an abundance of quail, meat from heaven. They were thirsty, and I just went over and I said, uh, "Rock, give us water." And rock began; or the water came pouring out of the rock. I mean, think about all the things that Israel said. I mean, all, Israel saw. I mean, can you imagine the how much terror there must have been in the Jewish mind when they're turning around? They're on this peninsula, water on every side, and here comes the Egyptian army coming right at them. Nowhere to go. Couldn't escape if they want to. And Moses says, come on, follow me. And he held his hand up in the Red Sea part of it, and they ran through. And then they got to the other side, and they're worried. Like, well, look, here they're coming. How are we going to stop them? And then don't worry about it. And he puts his hand up. Next thing you know, the whole army, every one of them gone, drowned, floating on top of the water, none of them breathing, none of them coming. All the horses, everything, dead and gone. Just like that complete silence. You go to the side of Mount Sinai, and Moses is up on top, it's thundering and lightning and booming and everything. And they're taking their jewelry off and carving a, carving a uh, uh, melting it down and making a golden calf. And worshiping him saying, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. I just can't imagine me doing that. The, the mountain of evidence. I mean, they were, <clears throat> they were walking through the desert. And there was a fire, pillar of fire going up into the sky that guided them during the night. And a pillar of smoke that guided them through the desert in the daytime. I mean, if you saw that, what's that? I got a comment. I'm not gonna, I think, I think for, for a moment, we all, we, we all kind of do that some days. When God gives us this revelation of who he is through, you know, through the world and through creation, through the stars, through the sun, through the moon. He gives us an idea that he's there. And then, you know, we, 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 put, we put idols in our hearts about, like, different things like money and power and fame and pleasure and stuff like that. That's right. just a comment I was thinking. Yeah, we do. We, we do. But that's like the... That's the point is that when it says to consider Israel, I mean, we really need to consider Israel because we're not much different than Israel. Just as quickly as Israel can turn away from God and do things crazy, we, turn, we can turn away from God. That's the point here that I'm trying to make. Think about what they saw. Think about what they witnessed. And yet they still built a golden calf. They should have known that jewelry on your neck is not going to make a God. Should have known that. They should have just sat there and waited. Well, Moses is up there on the mountain. Look at all that lightning and thunder and the booming and the banging. You know, I can't wait till he comes down and tells what they're talking about. I mean, that's kind of what I think that I would be doing. But I probably wouldn't. I'd be down there throwing my gold in the pan too and melting it down to build a calf, a golden calf. <clears throat> and so when we, so when we, when we think about, when, we, when the Bible says to consider Moses, we, I mean, we really need to consider Moses. There's a mountain of, of evidence uh, but Hebrews quotes David, right? Quotes David, and what does David say? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So Hebrews is saying it. David was saying it. And Israel did it. So all in their history, even up to today, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and look at what Israel did and learn from it. 
All right, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, right? They saw my works for 40 years. For 40 years, they witnessed God's works. And they continued to test God. Therefore, it says, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they are going astray in their hearts. They have, unknown, they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. For 40, day, for 40 years, they were witnesses of God and his works. For 40 years, straight. And, and they still tested God and provoked him. They still went astray and were un, uh, did not know his ways. And God fulfilled his warnings. In his wrath, he said, that if you don't walk in my ways, if you don't do what I say, then you will not enter my rest. So take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. We test or provoke God to anger and wrath. Deuteronomy 9, 7, and 8. And we can also provoke God to jealousy in Deuteronomy 32:21 We can provoke God in many ways. God says there is only one God and we we can provoke him by worshiping another god whether it's Buddha or Krishna or Allah or uh, the god of Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses, right? Or, or even a God in our own minds that we have built in our own minds, believing something contrary to what Scripture says uh, for, one, for one reason or another. We can provoke God because there's only one salvation, one way of salvation. It's not by works. It's not by good deeds. It's not by your righteousness. It's about right, God's righteousness alone. Uh, you can provoke God because he says that, it, that uh, the scripture is through scripture alone. Not the Book of Mormons, not the Quran, not the Apocrypha, not the Watchtower, but his word. You can provoke God uh, because he says that we have an advocate with the Father, his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, this means that the Virgin Mary is not our advocate. Uh, we shouldn't be praying to Mary and asking Mary to tell his son to do something. We just need to go straight to his son. <clears throat> he says that uh, we are to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we cannot love money and we cannot love the world because if we love them, or if, if we love it, then we will love the one and despise the other. <laughs> so we need to know God's ways. And in knowing God's ways, we do not harden our hearts. We do not rebel against God. We do not provoke God to anger. We do not go astray in our heart. And we are not to be ignorant of his, of his words. Verse 3, chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. We read that. It says, where your fathers put me to the test, saw my works for 40 years, provoked uh, I was provoked with that generation. They always go astray in the heart, and they have not known my ways. So we need to know God's ways. Um, the action of God striving, the action of God striving, we need to see the significance of, gener uh, of uh, regeneration. Let's go to Titus. 
That's right before Hebrews. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So if God is striving, if he is saving, then he is washing and regenerating by the Holy Spirit. We need to know the significance of scriptures. Romans chapter 1 verse 17, Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, John uh, 17 verse 3, Jesus said, eternal life is this, knowing Jesus Christ. Verse 17, he said, John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is true. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is like a two edged sword, sharper than a two edged sword, uh, cutting clean to the heart, clean to the spirit, laying ourselves open before God. We need to, we need to know that the significance of prayer uh, prayer is for fellowship. Uh, prayer is for dependence. Prayer is asking God for help uh, to understand dependence. Uh, understand a little child. You know, when the child comes downstairs and you got the cereal up on the top cabinet, the child can't reach. And so they come to you and say, Daddy or Mommy or Papa or Grandma, can you come and get me some cereal? And you get the cereal and you... If you let them pour it in the bowl, you're going to end up having the whole box dumped on the floor, so you've got to help them pour the bowl. If you let them get a gallon of milk out of the refrigerator, they're probably going to drop it on the floor and spill it all over the place, and so they're pretty much helpless. And so uh, prayer is like a child who is asking their parents for help. We're de they're, they're showing their, your dependence upon God, not just trying to do it your, uh, yourself. I need to understand the significance of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says to examine yourself. It's all in the present tense. Examine yourself today to see if you're in the faith. If you have Jesus, then you have faith. If you do not have Jesus, you have been nullified from the faith. A guy named Scrugel, uh, John Scrugel, I think his name is. Uh, he wrote a book called... Uh, the Life of God and the Soul of Man. Just a little book. Uh, but he, he says that uh, you, this verse here, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You, be, you should be able to see the life of God in your soul, the life of God in your life. He should be working in you, working through you. Uh, and we need to know the importance, the importance of Jesus and the significance of abiding in Christ. John 15. Uh, we are the vine, excuse me, we are the branches. He is the vine. And we have to remain in him. Um, we got about five minutes. All right, let's see how far we get. The next sermon is on doing salvation doing salvation's perseverance together. The importance of soul care, the writer Hebrews, in application to Jesus being greater than Moses and the illustration of Israel's unbelief gives us a, a warning to respond immediately in three verses. In verse seven, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In verse 13, it says, exhort one another as long as it is today. In verse 15, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts again. So there again, it says, exhort one another as long as it is called today. We are not to allow our hearts to be hardened, but we are to exhort and help others in their salvation so that their heart also will not be hardened. There are several reasons given as to why we need to do these things. Uh, one, God tests you. Two, God works in your life. Uh, God is provoked by your unbelief and disobedience, and God swore that there is no rest uh, for unbelievers. So these are the reasons given why we need to exhort one another. The urgency is today. 
Uh, the, present, the present moment is, is the moment. It's the urgent moment. The moment is, is uh, in accordance with the ongoing present moment of in unbelief. As long as there is the possibility of unbelief, there is a necessity of exhorting one another and holding one another accountable. The urgency is because God's wrath has sweared or swears that you will not enter the rest if you remain in the unbelief. Right? If they go out from you, it means that they never were a part of you. Right? So part of Sunday school or part of church membership is watching one another. And if we find somebody that has gone adrift, hasn't been in a while, is not coming, we want to find out why. And we want to reach out to them. I haven't seen Kyle and Ashley Nunnery, some new members that joined, uh, tried to contact them this week, find out where they are. I texted both of them, and they haven't responded to me. I don't know if he's doing something with the military in a way or whatever, but uh, I hate for him to join the church, and we vote him in, and then we never see him again. <clears throat> and that's how, we, uh, that's how we need to look out for one another. Uh, think about driving cross-country, uh, or driving anywhere, really, but driving down 16. Uh, 16 has nothing. There's nothing but trees. There's a long time before you get to the next exit. You can sit there and you know how you're driving and you start falling asleep, but you don't really go to sleep. Your eyes are like wide open, but it's just like everything just kind of goes blurry and you like catch yourself. Um, have you ever sat in the passenger seat and you watched somebody in the driver's seat and you know that they're starting to fall asleep and you begin to see that car drift? What's your response? All right, you slap them or do something. You know, why? Well, what's getting ready to happen? They're getting ready to run off the street and into the trees or over into the lane where the 18-wheeler's coming down the road. Well, what's worse, running to the trees, running into the 18-wheelers, or not entering God's rest and going to hell? So if we're going to be urgent to exhort somebody to stay awake while they're driving a car when they start to drift, well, how much more important is it when we're in the church and we look across the pew and we say, where is that person that used to sit there every single week that I don't see much anymore? Well, I got to go to Texas Roadhouse and get a steak, so we'll worry about that later. No, that's not what we need to do. We need to find out where that person's at, and we need to exhort them to, to come to church and to come back to church and to, to not drift, drift away. The need for soul care is due to our hearts, the wealth of evidence the Israelite had from God, and they still would not believe. The Bible on many occasions speaks of the evil heart. It is, it is desperately wicked. The Bible says that the creator of the universe came down into the creation, and his created beings received him not. But not only didn't receive him, but they put him on the cross and killed him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. In Hebrews chapter 3, 11 to 14, we see that they always go astray in their heart. They have an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. And they're being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the sin nature works with the wicked heart. And it has the power to lead uh, or to fall away or fall into deceitfulness of sin. And so we need to be aware, we need to be aware of that. Um, the difference between Jesus and us is Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, but he was without sin. Temptation is not sin, but Jesus, there was nothing in Jesus for sin to carry him away. You know, when you're talking to your wife after you made a mistake or talking to your friend and you say, I'm sorry, I got carried away. That's, that's biblical. Right? Because sin works with the sin nature, and it has the capacity or the ability to carry you away. Why did Jesus never sin? Because there was nothing in Jesus that sin nor Satan could use to carry him away. He did not have a sin nature. Right? But we do. We need to be aware of it, that, uh, that sin could, could carry us away. And if we are carried away and stay away, that's a good indication that we may have never received Christ. Because there's one thing about God, he disciplines those he loves. And if you drift away and you're God's, he's going to discipline you and bring you back. And he's going to use perhaps one of us uh, to go out there and to uh, bring them back. So that's all, the, all we have time for.
uh, right there. But uh, again, Hebrews chapter 3 is talking about entering God's rest and using Moses as a type of Christ who was leading them to God's rest in the land of Canaan, in, land of, land, in the land of Canaan, and that is picturing Christ who is leading us into the kingdom of God, which is our eternal rest uh, in, in Christ Jesus. And so um, he's, he's warning us, he's telling us about this rest uh, that Moses offered, that the Israelites lost, and now Jesus has a rest that he's offering, and he doesn't want us to lose it. How did the, the Israelites lose it? Because they drifted into unbelief and didn't trust the Lord and fell away. And that's how we lose it in Christ as well. Uh, if uh, God is not striving with us and we are not striving with God, and we go off into rebellion, proving that we were never saved, then we could also not enter the rest as well. And so it's a community effort. We need to hold one another accountable. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for uh, the testimony of Moses. Uh, we thank you that we have a much greater rest. I thank you that we have a much greater Moses in Christ, uh, that we have a much better kingdom uh, in the kingdom of God. And uh, Lord, help us uh, that, we, uh, that we continue to strive uh, with you, that we continue to, to trust you, uh, that we hold fast to your word, to your teaching, uh, so that we can be confident that we are going to enter into your rest, that we won't die in our, in our unbelief. And so, Lord, use these words of Hebrews to challenge our, uh, our life so that we continue to strive with you and hold fast to your word and your truth. Uh, we love you and thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.